All right, we're live. When I came in, somebody said, well, Paul, I think as you said, Paul's teaching. I don't know if teaching is what I would call I'm about to do, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, it may be more like muddling through it, but, um, the, you know, these lessons are just, they're incredibly deep. Uh, how many, have any of you read the chapter? I know several of you have the books. Have you have read? Okay. So you know where we are. To me, this is kind of like uh, the old question, what, what happens when an a, a, a mobile phone Forgot the question now. <laughs> Meets an irresistible force. Yeah. And uh, so, but what we'll do is we'll look and see what Scripture says about this question, and we're going to talk about the person of Christ. And when we say that, we mean, you know, um, and, and he summarizes it by saying that we look at the person of Christ as follows Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man, and will be forever. So that's kind of the. The, the gist of what we're going to talk about tonight. I've never really had a problem with that. Now, I grew up, you know, I was in church nine months before I was born. So if you were to tell me Jesus is fully God, I've got no problem with that. Jesus was fully man, I can shake my head and say I agree with that. I have talked to people before who have a hard time putting those two things together, especially when you throw in the word fully. Jesus was fully God, he was fully man. How can you be two fully things at the same time? Now, again, I don't know that we're going to come to an answer tonight, but we're going to see what Scripture says about it. Um, let, me, let me pass out a few verses, because that's what we're going to do. And You guys brought your Bibles tonight, so we'll, we'll spend a good bit of time reading some of these just to see what God's Word has to say about it. Um, JC, how about Matthew 1.18? How about Luke 1? 34 through 35, Luke 1, 34 through 35, Russ, Luke 2, 9 through 12, one of you guys got a Bible, uh, Audrey, Isaiah 7, 14, and we're going to look at the humanity of Christ first, you know, that's what we're going to talk about first, and these verses that, um, that we're looking at will help us identify a portion of that, and, and we'll look first at Jesus' birth. Uh, Audrey, I think you're up first. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so we're talking about, the, you recognize who these verses are about. This verse is about <coughs> Jesus himself, and this verse tells us clearly that he was born. He was born, and he was he was born of the of a virgin. It was written nine hundred years before it happened. I'm sorry. It was written nine hundred years before. A long happened. time before it happened. That's the right. A, a, a huge prophecy. J.C. Matthew one eighteen. <clears throat> the natural birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when uh, his mother Mary had been brothers to uh, Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay. Also, while you're there, 120. Okay. But as he uh, considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take uh, Mary as your wife, for that which uh, is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then we'll give you one more while you're there. 24 through 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did 
as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took uh, his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he was uh, called, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, so all of these verses that you've read talk about Jesus being born and being born of a virgin. He had a, a, a virgin birth. All right, Luke 1, 34 and 35. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Again, we see verses about his birth, and in a supernatural manner. Luke 2, 9 through 12. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, and skip down to 16 through 19. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Okay. So all these scriptures that we just read speak of Jesus, this person that we're talking about, Jesus being born. He had a, a physical birth. And not just any physical birth. It was a special birth. He was born uh, without a earthly father. And the, these scriptures clearly teach us that. Now, that's important, and we need to talk about why that's important. First of all, I would say that's important because it points to the fact that salvation is ultimately a work of God. The Bible is clear from the very beginning that salvation has always been God's work. You know, scripture never teaches that man can do anything to save himself. And the second reason that it's important is uh, the virgin birth made it possible for the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. And Grudem kind of walks us through this uh, mental exercise in this, in this part of, the, of, of his um, exposition. And he says, you know, imagine that Jesus, or imagine that God uh, went about this in a different way. You know, he could have, he could have made Jesus, given Jesus a human body in heaven and then he could have supernaturally descended to the earth and, and carried out what he, he does. But if that were true then we would have a hard time coming to grips with Jesus' humanity, right? That's, he's, he's, it's, it's all in heaven and then it descends to earth and, and so it, it puts some questions or doubt into his humanity. He could have, God could have said, he could have used Joseph Joseph and Mary could have come together like, like married couples do and, and had a child but then we wouldn't really understand how, how Jesus would be God at that point. He would have had a, a beginning just like the rest of us. So the virgin birth makes it possible, gives us an understanding of how Jesus could be God and human. And then thirdly, the virgin birth makes it possible for Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. You see, Adam, all sin is inherited through Adam because of what Adam did in the garden then every person born after that has, has inherited the sin nature. But because Jesus didn't have an earthly father, then that line was broken. Now, Grudem says that, that many people then will say, well, why didn't Jesus inherit a sin nature from his mother? 
and he uses he, he goes into an explanation about how and I'm I'm no certainly no expert on uh, Catholicism, but he says that the, the the Catholic Church would say that that Mary herself was sinless, and there you know there are all kinds of problems with that because you know how how would she have not inherited sin from from her parents, and you know the scriptures clearly teach that all have sinned and fall you know so so Mary's not exempt, and so that's not a suitable explanation. And he says a better explanation is, and I think we read this verse a moment ago, Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, it says, and therefore the child will be the child the child to be born will be called holy. So God did a supernatural work in this case. Jesus was born uh, without inherited sin. And so as we move forward and we talk about Jesus' humanity. Um, we're going to look at some of his human weaknesses and limitations. And I'm going to give out some verses again. I'll start on this. Uh, Jason, you got your, your Bible? Okay. Luke 2.52. Scott, you got one? Uh, John 4.6. How about John 19.28? You want one? Um, Matthew 4.2. Okay. Kevin, Luke 23.46. Mark 13:32, Aaron. Miss Shirley. John 12:27. David. Matthew 26:38. James, Matthew 8:10. And Phil, John 11:35. So I don't think any of us would argue with the fact that Jesus had a human body. Um, he, he was born, he moved about, he grew, he grew and, and uh, had a relationship with the disciples. I mean, you know, we don't have a problem with saying he had a human body. And, and what we're going to read in these verses is that his human body was much like ours. Who had um, Luke 2.52? And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus was born as a child. We're, we're moving into the Christmas season when we celebrate his birth as a baby. But this verse says that he grew. He grew physically. He grew mentally. He grew just like a normal baby would. Okay, John 4, 6. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as, <coughs> wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay. What do we say from that verse about Jesus' body? He got tired, right? He had been, he'd been walking and he, he grew tired. Anybody ever experienced that? I think so. John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Okay. Here, here's Jesus hanging on the cross. He's going through just a terrible punishment. Uh, and he, he what? Thirst. You ever been thirsty? We all have. We've all experienced that. Matthew 4, 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay. Anybody ever been hungry? Mm. We don't know what real hunger is, do we? But we've, we've all thought we were hungry. Okay. <coughs> Jesus, as a man, was hungry. He, he needed to eat food. Luke 23, 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he had breathed his last. Okay, so his physical body, what? 
died. Okay. Um, and then Grudem goes on to say that you know Jesus was resurrected again. He had a body. He was as a as a resurrected person. He had a, a body. Now that body was different. There are scriptures that says you know he was not in a room, and then all of a sudden he was in a room. He still had a body. He he showed Thomas the the wounds that he had received during the crucifixion, the wounds in his side and in his hands, and he had a body. When Jesus you know at the beginning of Acts, he's with the disciples and he goes up into heaven. How does he go? With a body, right? He, he, his, his body ascends up into heaven. Who had Luke 2, 32? Is that the one we read first? No? No. Nobody had Luke 2, 32. Luke 2, 32... Somebody look that one up. I don't know why I've got it. You got it, Russ? Okay. Yeah. Um, it says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. I don't know that that was I may have a bad reference there. But the, 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 the thing that we were going to talk about is that Jesus, he learned, you know, as he was, as he was growing up. And this has always been an interesting thought to me. You know, Jesus was born as a baby. Uh, you guys that have children, you, you've known what having a baby's like, and a baby knows almost nothing, virtually nothing, knows nothing. And uh, even after they grow up, they don't know much more than that, right? <laughs> Seems like sometimes. But, but here's, here's Jesus. I'm sorry? Luke 2.52. Okay. Read that one for us. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Okay. That's why I thought it was the first, that was similar to what the verse that you read. Um, so he learned. And, um, you know, it's always been an interesting thought to me that here's, here's Jesus born as a baby. He's God, and yet he had to learn all the things that a normal baby would learn. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn, you know, math. He had to learn all of that stuff. It, it wasn't because he was fully human. Those things weren't just automatically there. And, and he went through the process much like um, all of us did. Mark thirteen thirty two. But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Okay, so he, Jesus is saying that the Son himself, there's something he doesn't know, right? Now, again, we won't get too deep into the explanation of that, but we take that for what it says. There's something that Jesus didn't know. <clears throat> things that all of us don't know. He was human just like we were. How about John twelve twenty seven? Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Okay, now we're going to get into the area of emotion. Jesus was human. He had emotion. What was that emotion? He said he was troubled. troubled. Okay. Matthew twenty six thirty eight. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. Okay. Jesus expresses sorrow. Matthew 8.10. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, <coughs> I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Okay. This verse tells us that Jesus marveled as a person. In John 11.35. Jesus wept 
Okay, again, he had sorrow. And this is at Lazarus' death, and he's with Mary and Martha, and he experiences this sorrow uh, in that situation. Now, most of the time, I won't say all of the time, but most of the time when we experience emotions or we have emotions that, that come forward, most of the time they involve sin. Not all the time, but, but a lot of the time. Now, Jesus had these emotions and never sinned. So let's talk about Jesus and his sinlessness. Um, let's see. Linda, mm -hmm. Luke 4.13. Steve, John 8.12. Audrey, John 8.29. Russ, John 18.38. Bill, 2 Corinthians 5.21. J.C., Hebrews 4.15. Ken, 1 Peter 1.19. Now, some people would may, you know, I don't know any of these people, but some people might would say, if Jesus were sinless, then he couldn't have been human because all humans sin, right? <clears throat> but again, we're going to turn to Scripture and see what Scripture says about that. Luke 4.13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Okay. Now, what do we know about that story? Um, Satan tempted him, and did Jesus succumb to that temptation? No, at the end of that temptation, Jesus was sinless. John 8, 12. I'm sorry? All I've got the Bible search that you need today. Mark, he's talking about, I guess I didn't know this. Maybe some of y'all did. He said, and this goes back to Adam and Eve. He said, with the discovery of DNA, if you look at every woman, they have the same DNA molecule in them. All women are related, and it goes all the way back to Eve. And he explained that how when Jesus came, and supposedly, this is the part I don't understand, I'd have to meditate to get some research and explanation on this, but he said that Adam, and the Bible talks about Adam sinning. He right. doesn't really blame Eve for sin, right. although she, she, had, uh, she was cursed with childbirth and all that. But anyway, the DNA from women goes all the way up through and Mary had that DNA. And so that DNA was not sin. That's how the Holy Spirit was able to, to conceive with Mary. Man couldn't do it. Joseph right. couldn't do it because man would have been would have had sin. But the sinless woman was uh, Christ was conceived through a sinless woman by the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. I had not heard that before. Yep, it's very interesting. So women now are sinless too? Huh? Are women now are sinless too? I don't know. <laughs> All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who's that from? Huh? Alan Morris. Alan Morris. Uh, he was teaching that in a seminary down in South America somewhere, and he said, as he was explaining, he said, they had never heard that before. I'm sitting there thinking, well, I ain't heard that before either. So go <laughs> How about John 8, 12? John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay. At first glance, that verse may not appear to speak to Jesus' sinlessness, 
But when we think about light as, you know, moral purity or truth, and Jesus saying, I am the moral truth, I am moral purity, in that sense, it speaks to his sinlessness. John eight twenty nine. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Okay, so he's saying there, I'm obeying God. And he uses um, a verb tense that always do, meaning it's a continual, ongoing thing. He's always doing things that are pleasing, always obeying God. John eighteen thirty eight. What is truth? Pilate asked. But this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Okay. So Pilate had done an investigation near the, the time of the crucifixion, and he found no basis for charge. Jesus had done nothing that deserved the, the punishment that the, the Pharisees were seeking. Second Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Pretty clear. Jesus had no sin. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, very clear. Jesus had no sin. And then finally, 1 Peter 1.19 But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Okay. So he's using a, an agricultural um, metaphor, I guess you would say, to, to, to talk about a lamb that has no blemish and no, no defect in, in relation to how Jesus compares to that. He, he had no sin. And then Grudem says that uh, you know, the practical application, and I'll, I just thought this was good, so I'll, I'll read this to you. He says, this has practical application for us, meaning Jesus' sinlessness. In every situation in which we are struggling with temptation, we should reflect on the life of Christ and ask if there were not similar situations that he faced. Usually after reflecting for a moment or two, we will be able to think of some instance in the life of Christ where he faced temptations that, though they were not the same in every detail, they were very similar to the situ situations that we face every day. So Grudem moves to the next question. Jesus was sinless. But his next question then he raises is, could Jesus have sinned? Was it possible for Jesus to sin? Now this is where it gets pretty deep, those of you who've read the chapter. Um, and it's a big question. Now it was interesting, as I said, I don't know that much about Catholicism, but I was in conversation with a Catholic the other day at work because we were t she was talking about some of the decisions and some of the things that were going on in the church and some of the things that the Pope had made. And, and it gave me an opportunity to kind of have a conversation with her. And I said, yeah, but isn't the Pope infallible? And it was interesting. She didn't know the answer to that question. Um, and I think it was because in her, you know, in reality, she knows that he's not perfect. He's, I mean, you can see the things he's saying and doing, and it's just pretty obvious, right? But, but she knew she was supposed to say, Yes. And so she said, well, I'll have to do some checking. My son's, he's, he's more up on this than I am. So she came back the next day, and, and she uh, brought up a word that Grudem uses here, um, impeccable. And he says that impeccable means not able to sin. And, and so, you know, in, in the conversation that I was having with her about the Pope, um, she said that Catholics, 
and there's so much division among Catholics, I would say, that you know, you don't know that you get a straight answer necessarily, but the Pope, when he's acting as the Pope, <laughs> is imp impeccable, not able to sin. Ex cathedral. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Grudem uses this word to, des to describe Jesus, or, or ask the question, it was Jesus impeccable, was, was he not able to sin? Um, and other, you know, people would argue that if he were not able to sin, then the temptations that he experienced were, were just not that real. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, temptations were very real. I'm so, I, what I said is that's what people would argue, oh. or people would say. I agree. And that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Yeah. People would say, you know, if he were not able to sin, then he didn't face any temptation. Couldn't if he couldn't sin. Yes. It was interesting. You were talking about the emotions that Jesus had, and you know we have those same emotions, and like like being sorrowful. You know, and sometimes I think we're a little hard on ourselves because if we say you're sorrowful, why should you be sorry? You're not trusting the Lord in this. So we can kind of almost get a little bit overboard, you know, with ourselves, with others, not recognizing our humanity, and try to use you know. Christian lingo to kind of minimize deep emotion that we might have. So it's just interesting as we're reading about Jesus' emotion because he was angry too. He was. But he didn't sin. So there was a Correct. lot of emotions that Jesus had that we can have, but we have to do it, you know, in, in the in the right way and in the right spirit. And that's I mean right. that's a whole other topic. I know, I know, but it's just interesting to see. It is. And it speaks to um, just how amazing because you know even something as simple as sorrow. You know, there's appropriate sorrow, and then there's inappropriate sorrow, and, and that line can be crossed just so quick, and, and we don't even intend to. And yet, Jesus never crossed the line. Never, ever. Never had a thought, never had an action, never had an attitude that even crossed the line. So, good point. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. The temptations were very real, and that's what we're going to talk about. Some people argue that if Jesus couldn't have sinned, then... Um, the temptations weren't real. But that's what we're going to talk about. And it's important as we talk about this to avoid speculation. We have to be very careful not to take the things that we think are right. We have to, to go with what Scripture says. And some of the things that we've just talked about tonight, and we agree, Jesus never sinned. Okay, we, we agree with that statement? Okay. Second statement, see if we agree with this. Jesus was really tempted. Okay, And then James 1.13, the verse we haven't talked about, says, um, God cannot be tempted with evil. So that's my third statement. God cannot be tempted with evil. We agree with that. It's what Scripture says, right? So we've got this um, apparent dilemma here. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was really tempted. God cannot be tempted with evil. And this is where I would go back to um, something that Jerry said one of our first couple weeks here when he was trying to help Karen prepare a Sunday school lesson. We only know what we know. We can't speculate outside of that. And so we know that Jesus was tempted. We know that he was fully man. Jesus was fully God. And God cannot be tempted. So even though this is an apparent dilemma... 
what this requires is just a deeper understanding on our part. And I say it's too deep for me, so I'm again going to read from Grudem this paragraph. At this point, we pass beyond the clear affirmations of Scripture and attempt to suggest a solution to the problem of whether Christ could have sinned. But it is important to recognize that the following solution is more than the nature of a suggested means of combining various biblical teachings and is not directly supported by explicit statements of Scripture. With this in mind, it is appropriate for us to say, if Jesus had a human nature and had existed by itself, independent of his divine nature, then it would have been, then it would have been free from sin, but nonetheless able to sin. Jesus was sinless, but if in his human nature alone, he would have been able to sin. Two, Jesus' human nature never existed apart from union with his divine nature. From the moment of his conception, he existed as truly God and truly man. Both his human nature and his divine nature were united in one person. So Grudem moves to the third statement. Although there were some things, such as being hungry or thirsty or weak, that Jesus experienced in his human nature alone, things that were not experienced in his divine nature. <clears throat> Nonetheless, an act of sin would have been a moral act that apparently would have involved both the whole person of Christ. Therefore, if he had sinned, it would have involved both his human and divine natures. Four, but if Jesus as a person had sinned, involving both his human and divine natures in sin, then God himself would have sinned, and he would have ceased to be God. Yet that is clearly impossible because of the infinite holiness of God's nature. So five. Therefore, it seems that if we are asking if it was actually possible for Jesus to have sinned, it seems that we must conclude that it was not possible. The union of his human and divine natures in one person prevented it. I couldn't have come up with all that on my own. <laughs> and that's one of those, you know, we're back to this... Um, irresistible force and an unmovable object you know it's it's one of those things that we just have to say things that we know and trust in the things that we don't okay this is my speculation okay okay <laughs> and speculation is dangerous we've already said it. go ahead I, I agree but with something like this you, you can't help but go there if so you if you think about it you, your mind, mind goes there right in my mind the way i reconcile that is that jesus obviously gave up some of his deity, some of his powers while he's here on earth. The passage he read from Mark. I don't know. Okay? And he allowed himself to be crucified. And, you know, so um, so the way I, I reconcile the two is that he uh, willingly gave up some of his deity, even though he's still completely God. Let's put that on hold because we're going to talk about that. We, okay. We've got a whole section on that. So <laughs> hold, hold on to that and we'll get to it. Yes, we'll get there. So, you know, that's a hard thing that we just read. So Grudem tries to help us understand it by using the story of Jesus' temptation. And, and Satan came to him. Jesus, Remember, Jesus was hungry. And Satan says, look, here's some rocks. And what does Satan say? You're hungry. Just turn those into bread, right? So Grudem says that Jesus, because he was divine, could he have turned the stones into bread? Sure. He could have. All right. Grudem says Jesus refused to rely on his divine nature to make obedience easier for him. 
Jesus met every temptation. This goes back to what you were saying. Jesus met every temptation to sin, not by his divine power, but on the strength of his human nature alone. And I was reminded of, um, I subbed for Mark a couple, uh, it's been months ago now, but one of our Sunday school lessons was from Galatians. And you remember the, 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 the verse in Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, to the extent that we can do that, to the extent that we can walk by the, by the Spirit, the verse says we can eliminate sin from our lives. So what Grudem is saying that as Jesus dealt with these temptations, because he was so closely walking with God and the, and, you know, the Spirit, the, the, the Trinity combined, he was able to resist these very real temptations. They were very real. And then he goes on to say where the temptation is real, and he uses the example of a, a weightlifter. And, you know, the weightlifter, you know, if, if you pick up a heavy weight and you only get it so far and you, then you put it back down, you've not really borne born the entire weight, right? It's only when the weightlifter gets it up and he's holding the entire weight that he bears the full brunt of this. And since Jesus resisted these temptations all the way to the end, these temptations were more real than if you gave in immediately to the temptation. Again, these things we're talking about are a mile deep tonight. But. And so we'll move into the next section where, he, where Grudem says, was Jesus' full humanity necessary? We are not going to have enough time tonight. This lesson is, is too long. Um, let's, uh, yeah, we do need to stay on track, and that's, this is kind of the last section on Jesus' humanity. So let's just skip that, and we'll go to the deity of Christ so, so that we can make every effort to get this in tonight. So we're going to look at Jesus' deity and again, we'll look at Scripture to see what it, it has to say. Um, where do we leave off? Aaron, Isaiah 9, 6. John 1, 1. Kevin, John 20, 28. Romans 9, 5. Scott, Titus 2, 13. Jason, Hebrews 1, 8. J.C., 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1. <clears throat> Bill, Luke 2.11, and Russ, Matthew 3.3. 3. So what was, does anybody have a definition for the word incarnation? What's an incarnation? Right. So deity... Taking on human form, human flesh, right? Jesus, or God became a man. Who had Isaiah 9, 6? Um, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, so the verses we're going to look at now refer to Jesus as God. And in this verse, he's referred to toward the end or middle of that verse as Mighty God. That verse is speaking of Jesus, and he's called Mighty God. Okay? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. One of my favorite, but we teach that verse to the, we taught it to the Wanas, and now they're teen kids. We teach that verse. What a grounding verse for those guys to learn, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and then Jesus was God. What a grounding verse for those little guys to know. Um, while you're there, uh, John 1.18. Um, 
Sorry. I slipped out there for a second. Well, I sneaked that one in on you since, since you were close by. Okay, 118 says... Uh, I can move it. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is the who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Okay. John 20, 28. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Okay, he's talking to Jesus, and Thomas refers to him as Lord and God. All right, uh, Romans 9, 5. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God all, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Okay. Again, Christ referred to as God. Titus 2.13 Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus Christ is referred to as God and Savior. Hebrews 1.8 But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Okay, the part of the Trinity called the Son was referred to as God. 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1. Um, Simon Peter, a slave, <clears throat> a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtain the faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay. Now these next two verses, Jesus is referred to as Lord. Lord being um, the word from the old Hebrew that refers to Yahweh which we know as, as God. Uh, Luke 2.11. Today, <coughs> a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Okay, so the word Lord is used to refer to Jesus. In Matthew 3.3. 3. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Okay. Again, Jesus referred to as Lord. One other thing that came to mind, you remember Jesus was in conversation with the Pharisees and he, he in Matthew, he's referring back to a verse in Psalm 110 and he says, he's, he's trying to help the, the Pharisees come to an understanding and he says, the Lord said to my Lord, remember that verse? Yeah. And so what does he mean there? What, is, what, what was Jesus trying to communicate to the Pharisees? The Lord said to my Lord. Right. Certainly the Trinity. It's as if God, as Jesus is trying to help the, the Pharisees understand, if you change the words a bit and said, and God, um, God the Father said to God the Son, right? It's this conversation that's going on, and, and he's trying to help the Pharisees understand this. There are many other scriptures that he used um, to, to, to point us. I don't doubt that you know we, we can skip a lot of those because... Um, you know, we are all in agreement that Jesus is God. And there are many um, evidence for the attributes of his deity. Uh, Audrey, Matthew 8, 26 through 27. Steve, Matthew 14, 19. Linda, John 2, 1 through 11. You got a long one. Phil, Mark 2, 8. And then five through seven. That's weird to do them in that order. But. And then James, 
Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Now these verses will show us some evidence for the attributes of Jesus being deity. Um, Matthew 8, 26 and 27. These verses show us Jesus having control over storms, over the weather. Who does that? Only God. Matthew 14, 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to the heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Okay. So Jesus took... Five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000. Who can do that? Only God. John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. She also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water and now become wine, and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then pour, then pour wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay. Very famous story, one we all know, Jesus turned water into wine. Who does that? Only God. Mark 2, 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they didn't greet him, believe in themselves, he said unto them, I reason you these things in your hearts. Okay. Jesus knew what they were thinking. <clears throat> Who can do that? Only God. Mark 2, 5 through 7. <clears throat> Phil, did you have, can you read 5 through 7 as well? When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, that's when you're talking about right. palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. How did this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? Okay. That, that verse itself answers the question for us. <laughs> who, who can forgive sins? Only God. And, G and yet Jesus did. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay. These verses speak about worship, 
every knee bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. These, these verses talk about worship, and it's appropriately given to Jesus. It's only appropriate to worship God. So these verses, con again, confirm that, that Jesus is God. And these verses show us, you know, a lot about, you know, we, we've, we've grown up knowing words like omnipotence. What is omnipotence? All-powerful. Jesus commanded the storms to stop. He, he had power over all of nature. We talked about we, we, another word we learned as children in Sunday school, omniscient. What is that? All-knowing. He knew their thoughts. Jesus forgave sin, we talked about. He approved worship. The one thing that um, you know, I thought was interesting that Grudem dealt with was uh, omnipresence. Okay, was Jesus, what is omnipresence? Everywhere, was, was, did that Does that describe Jesus? No, he was in a, a body and it could only be in one place at one time. But Grudem says the divine attribute of omnipresence was not directly affirmed to be true of Jesus during his earthly ministry. <coughs> However, while looking for, and I had never thought about these verses talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. However, while looking forward to the time that the church would be established, Jesus said, and, the, and Jesus is speaking of himself, where two or three are gathered in my name, what? There I am. There Jesus is. All right, Jesus is omnipresent. Moreover, he left the earth as he was ascending into heaven. He said, he taught his disciples, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Jesus promised to be with the disciples wherever they were at any time. He, he did have omnipresence in that respect. Now, we're going to have to close with this next bit, and I promised Kevin that we would get there, this kenosis theory that asked the question, did Christ voluntarily give up divine power while on earth? Did he voluntarily self-limit himself? And uh, if you've got your Bible, let's everybody turn to two, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. James, you were just there, and you read part of that, maybe? Uh, yes, I read 9 through 11. And you want to do 5 through 8? 5 through 8 specifically. Can you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, don't, I didn't know why this wasn't tied in, but that's Yeah, okay. we're coming back to it. Okay. Um, have this after attributes in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men okay so the question is in this kenosis theory question is what is meant by the two words emptied himself now, I had always thought, I had a friend, some of you guys might remember Scott Kelly. Scott and Tammy were members of our church for a while, and they've, in fact, recently just moved to North Carolina. They're not even in Georgia anymore, but Scott lived off, over off of Hopewell Road, and his neighbor across the fence, kind of behind him, was John Smoltz. And I used to go over to Scott's house, and I'd want to, you know, I'd go out in the back, and I'd try to look over and see if I could see John out there, and I never did. Um... <coughs> but I thought how neat it would be to catch him out in the yard someday and just go out and, you know, play catch with John Small. Now, I went to old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, so this tells you how long ago that was. And I watched John, we had seats one day right by the bullpen, and Smoltz was the starting pitcher that day. And I promise you, I watched the catcher not move his mitt one single time while Smoltz was warming up. Smoltz could hit the mitt every single time. He, the catcher could have closed his eyes 
consults mm-hmm. and this and that. And so I've often thought of you know how neat it would be to to, to play catch with. Now, I'm I'm a nobody in in baseball. How difficult would it be for me to play catch with a guy like this? But could John limit himself? I mean, he can throw 98 miles an hour, but could he throw a ball that I could catch? Certainly. He could limit himself and throw that ball. Now, how this applies to um, what Jesus did, this is what Grudem says. The answer actually lies in those verses. Verses 7 and 8 tell us, what the emptying of himself means. It, the verses themselves give us the definition. So think about emptying himself, and then James reads 7 and 8. It describes what that means. I didn't read 8. Okay. Being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Okay. I'm sorry. I That's fine. Seven so the, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. Right. Emptying himself, he took the form of a servant, he was found in human form, he humbled himself, and he was obedient unto death. So this emptying involves a humbling of himself. It's taking a lowly status or lowly position. He didn't change who he was, but he changed his status or his position. The NIV, has anybody got an NIV? Anybody reading an NIV? Nope. You got one? Yes. Read that... Um, I think it's seven. Which one, verse seven? I think so. Uh, it says, but made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. Mm-hmm. Instead of emptying himself, NIV translate, he made himself nothing. It's, it's again talking about that status or privilege. In conclusion, this is not the conclusion, but we're going to conclude because it's 730. Anybody have any doubt that Jesus was fully God? No. Anybody have any doubt that Jesus was fully man? and we worship him. The summary verse, I would close with Colossians 2.9. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him, the, full, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's Colossians 2.9. Well, I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, you've had subs the last three weeks. I'm, I feel certain Jerry will be back next week, and, and I don't know what the next, when you, what's the next chapter. Ask a question for you. Sure. Before we close. So now we now we know Jesus fully man, fully God. How do we explain that to an unbeliever? I don't know that you try. I don't know that you go that deep with an unbeliever. I would stick more to the the, the simple things that we know and and stick to, you know. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and God has. Um, sent his son to be the savior of the world and these deeper type questions will come later as they mature and grow in the faith. So, now they may be curious about, you know, you get questions like this. I'm, I'm, I have no doubt anybody who's been around and shared their faith often, truthfully a lot of times I believe that's just you know Satan sticking something in there and, and I've heard Jerry say many times you know, deal with a question like that by saying, let's get back to that and then focus more on the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Well, I, I teach the Bible to technologists. I'm sorry? I teach the Bible to technologists. And they're always, always thinking. thinking. That's right. And it's, it's a difficult thing, but I, I don't doubt that Satan puts those kind of things in our way just to, to stumble us sometimes. And pray. As you share the gospel, certainly pray. Well, thank you guys. Hope you have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.